This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. One of the beliefs I have is that when you stop learning and growing and stop being active, you become old. I don't ever want to be old. I may gain some years, but I'm not going to be old. But that takes a commitment to having a growth mindset. Hello and welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. I'm Peter Bowes. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Now, we've got a great story today. I'm in Huntington Beach in California to meet Dr. Larry Sen. Larry is a hugely successful businessman, an expert in corporate culture, and a lifelong athlete. He is a prolific author. His latest book is The Mood Elevator, where he shares, amongst other things, his secrets to being an 82-year-old triathlete. Larry, it's great to see you. Well, it's great to be with you. How long have you been a triathlete? Well, I took it up when I was 70, so I guess 12 years. I've done like 60 triathlons during that time. And what prompted you to do it? Well, I have, I have a strong belief there's a big connection between our mental well-being and our physical well-being. It's like we know if we get run down, we catch colds. If we get run down, we catch moods. So take care of yourself. And a key part of taking care of yourself is aerobic exercise. So I have been a runner for many years. And uh, I've always swam. And, and all of a sudden I said, well, gee, I should probably start to alternate so I'm not running every day. It could do that. So I said, well, triathlons could do that. So I decided to do my first one, and that was it. I loved it. Had a great time. And, and the cross-training aspect, so I can ride a bike one day, I can run another day, lift weights another day, it's great. Because those long-distance runs can get quite challenging on the joints, can't they? Correct. And so I also picked the sprint triathlon, which is a reasonable distance to make that happen. And with the alternating, I, you know, I still got my knees at 82. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, sprint triathlons are what I do as well. So they're, ah. they're relatively shorter distances, maybe four or 500 meter swim, maybe a 10. They're all different triathlons, unlike marathons, of course. They're all slightly different yes. in, in their length. So you start, it can you be start on the from swim. 500 yards to a, a, to, a, to a kilometer in the swim. And then it's typically a 20K bike ride. And a 5K run. That's and in California, it's the ocean swim, which is which can be challenging. When some, I was out there one day with eight foot waves. <laughs> oh wow! Oh yes, yes. Because they can be pretty rough here on this part of the. It is yes. The coastline of Southern California. Yes. Let's talk about you and, and your life, and we'll get into more detail about your, I mean, really inspiring story as it as it applies to your longevity. But you've been a, a businessman all your life, and and really, what you sell is is ideas and philosophies. Yes. I, I've always had this belief that, I guess my mother told me when I was young, that our natural state was to be our best, that our, almost our God-given nature was to be compassionate, loving, wise, all these kinds of things. And, and so this whole notion of how I could help organizations, and the way that happened was I began my career doing more traditional consulting. And I noticed that most organizations really had all kinds of turf issues and politics and unhappy people. <laughs> and I said, well, what if we could really create an organization where they did have positive spirit, where they did have all these kinds of things? And that led me to forming Sendalini to do that. And where did your, I and mean, that's the inspiration for doing it, but where do the ideas come from? 
one way to answer that is when you quiet your mind and clear it out and 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 listen to what occurs to you you get you get this wisdom from beyond you uh and so I think when I've gotten reflective, time in my life gotten reflective, and really thought about, for example, who do I want to be? What do I want my life to be like? And I decided I want to make more of a purpose. I have more of a purpose. So living that purpose-driven life, I think, is at the core of it. And we are in your office right now, Huntington Beach, and we've just had a little tour of, of your offices here. And I noticed, and you, you point them out to me, the motivational slogans and, and words and, and phrases on the walls. And, and if you maybe just tell me a few of those, they really go to the core of what you're all about, don't they? Yes. Uh, I believe that, that uh, there is a set of principles of life effectiveness in organizations we call it the essential values. So people who really can live their life more collaboratively with others, unselfishly. People who have a purpose. Companies who have a purpose all do better. Uh, people who are more accountable versus victims in life do better. So we talk about accountability. We talk about collaboration. We talk about learning and growing. We talk about being at our best. And so those are con- – we talk about uh, being in the present uh, listening for understanding. So those are the things you saw around the walls. When people live life that way, it's a better life and it's a better company. And are these aspects of, of corporate culture that maybe a lot of people ignore because they're simply focused on products and profit? Yes. It, it's changing, though, because Malcolm Gladwell, who wrote Tipping Point, said I recently that we've reached the tipping point with culture. So I've become convinced that the greatest predictor of an organization's future is its culture. So it was, it was that soft, funny thing maybe 10 years ago. Culture matters. And you were one of the first in this business, really, in terms of corporate culture, corporate culture shaping is, is how you describe it. Yes. So my uh, unofficial title from CEO Forum magazine is the father of corporate culture. So when I observed the phenomenon of organizations being unhealthy – became very curious about that. And I found a professor at USC who had put together a little booklet called Readings in Organizational Character. And I said, I have to understand this because this determines success and failure. This determines how people feel in an organization. He said, well, people have talked about it. No one's ever studied it. What if we paid your way through the doctoral program? Mm. So I got full bore over a period of years. He said, you've got clients so you can study it. So I did the world's first research on corporate culture, published 1970, and started the world's first culture-shaping firm in 78. That's where it came from. And you've mentioned a few of the big companies that we're aware of today that have had issues with their corporate culture, and, and that continues. Facebook has been in the news recently and will continue to be. Wells a, Fargo. As issues come up. Wells yes. Fargo. Many, many huge yes. companies. Yes. Is this something that is becoming more acknowledged as an essential part of corporate culture these days? The, it the, is. the work that you do? It is. So it, it has become mainstream. In fact, most companies are working on culture right now. The difficulty is that the challenge I faced as a young man was, how do you change habits of adults? <laughs> you know, how do you take somebody who's autocratic <laughs> or doesn't listen and change that? You can't just tell them. So the secret to the work we do is uh, we teach people from the inside out versus the outside in. Uh, early social scientist guy named Kurt Lewin who said, when we're young, we're like a flowing river and then we freeze and his belief was you have to have epiphanies. You have to have life events. So it's like the person who doesn't exercise, doesn't take care of them, then they have a heart attack. All of a sudden, they're walking around the block and eating greens because they got an aha. Mm. <laughs> and so I said, why don't we d- learn to engineer positive epiphanies about accountability, collaboration, trust, listening? 
And that's the core of our work. Give people deep insights that makes it transformational. What have your aha moments been? Uh, you must have had epiphanies in your life. I've had many. Uh, the, um, one of the ones I had when I went through a very dark patch in my life once, and I remember laying in a park and, and looking up and thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm feeling really low. I'll bet there's an equal amount of joy I could feel at the same time, that, that I've li- lived a fairly monotonic life, kind of in the middle, and I'm feeling something deeper in pain than I felt. I'll bet there's something deeper in joy I could feel. That's one epiphany. The other epiphany was I was sitting in a, a meeting room uh, going through a personal training, and it was a reflective process, and someone was in the background saying, who are you <laughs> and why are you here? And I had this insight, and that was I had already written the dissertation, and I understood culture, but I didn't know how to change it. And I said to myself, aha, I'm getting deep insights in this training. What if I could get people to get deep insights about culture I could change the face of business in the world. And at that moment, I decided to start Sendalini. It took me almost eight years to create the product and spin it out of the original firm. But that's where the com- this firm came from an epiphany. And a big part of your success is clearly having confidence in your own beliefs and maybe the ideas that come out of epiphanies like that. You've got to believe in yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think... You know, the, the most comforting thing in my life is the, the message my mother gave me in terms of my, my innate health, that my natural self. And when I'm not there, it's because of an error in my thinking. So if I can believe that I may be off base, but I know that's not really me. <laughs> me is the person who's loving, creative, successful, uh, collaborative, compassionate. That's who I really am. That's who I am at my core. And this is, just to give some perspective, this is now a global organization, a global company with offices around the world. Yes, we and worked in 10 countries last year. We've uh, worked with 125 Fortune 500 CEOs, governors of states, uh, major university chancellors, uh, members of the president's cabinets in earlier days under different presidents. I'm sorry, not, not this president? <laughs> not this one. Right. Okay. <laughs> Would you go there? Uh, I'd rather work with corporations. <laughs> That's opening up a whole new yes, ball yes. game of, of discussion. I'm curious, in terms of um, this feels like a very – I've just had a short time here at your office in Huntington Beach. It feels like a very friendly place. It feels like you are at the heart of it still nurturing this company based on those beliefs from, from many years ago and those ideas from many years ago. What really helps is we tend to attract people who are purpose-driven. We have a high purpose here really enhancing the lives of people and the spirit and performance of organizations. And so we tend to attract to us people who are purpose-driven. And there's something very powerful in being purpose-driven because it's not about you. You're not as selfish. You're more giving yeah, and, all, and more loving, uh, more lighter. And, so, and then by being here, you learn these principles. And so you live a better and better life. And so we have almost no turnover because people – Love the way it is. And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. 
And when you use a phrase like purpose-driven, it, it's something we hear quite a lot these days. But I'm thinking, and you, you talked about generational attitudes towards change, and perhaps older people are less inclined to change. But here you are, someone in your 80s, using, some might say, the, the jargon of today, but it's something that you've known and understood for a long time. Yes. Well, all of our behaviors and most of our actions are driven by our thinking, our, our beliefs, okay? And so one of the beliefs I have is that when you stop learning and growing and stop being active, you become old. I don't ever want to be old. <laughs> you know, I may gain some years, but I'm not going to be old. But that takes a commitment to having a growth mindset, being curious versus judgmental, not being fixed in your ways, knowing you don't know it all. It, it takes this mindset to do that. And you're saying this at 82 years old? Yes, of course. But it's just a number. It's just a number. Let's talk about your physical well-being over the years. Have you always been as, as you look, you're sitting opposite me now, you look supremely healthy, you're lean, you're agile, you're bright-eyed, you're ready to go. Have you always been like this? I have most of my life, yes. I, I was an athlete early on in my life, was a national champion in gymnastics and coached the UCLA gymnastics team. But then I got away from it for a period of time growing the business. I packed on probably 40 pounds and stopped exercising, wasn't eating right. And then it just hit me um, that I should really start taking care of myself. And so that's when I began the journey, first looking at my diet, uh, then getting back to starting running. And that, that was the beginning of the journey back in my 30s. And was the distraction when you did put that weight on, was that purely a work thing that you got lost in your career? Yeah, once again, beliefs. I had a belief back then that the harder you work, the more hours you put in, the better you would do. I no longer have that belief because uh, if I take care of myself and I'm really fit, I make better decisions, I'm a better leader, I influence people better, so it's better not to work too many hours and to take care of yourself. So give me some idea as an athlete and as a relatively newfound um, triathlete in uh, the last uh, few years. Uh, tell me the kind of lifestyle that you've led in terms of your exercise regimes uh, and your diet especially. Okay. So in exercise, I, I do believe you need to have aerobic exercise. And so for that, running and, and really vigorous bike riding, you know, uh, hills, et cetera, it takes care of that. I also believe you need to build muscle mass and bone strength. And so I do lift weights, and I do that probably three times a week. Uh, you know, most men get pot bellies. I do a heck of a lot of sit-ups. <laughs> so that's something I, I do almost every day to, to really keep that in line. Um, and I've, I've taken up stretching also. You notice as people get older, they start to get bent over and all that, so I don't want to do that either. And so I now have a pretty regular, using an online program, actually called Ramwad, uh, range of motion stretching. And so that's kind of my physical aspect. From a dietary standpoint, I'm a, what could be called a pesca vegan. So I, um, <clears throat> a vegan, but I really believe in the value of omega-3 oils from fish. So salmon is my main choice in terms of a meat when I do have meat. Uh, but for this morning's breakfast, I had a special hot sirikashi hot cereal with some walnuts and almonds in it and some pumpkin seeds in it, and then I have sitting right over here my my shaky. I haven't been drink yet. That's my I see. It's my uh, vitamin. beautiful looking smoothie. It, well, it's got blueberries in there. It's a lovely deep yes. color. Yeah. So it's got blueberries in it. It's got mango in it. It's got kale and spinach and carrots and apple all frozen, 
uh, along with some uh, protein powder and a vitamin powder. So that uh, is a vegan protein powder, a plant-based plant powder? Yeah, it's a pea protein. Vegan. Pea protein. Yeah, correct. Yes. So uh, you're getting your protein from legumes then? Yes, I am. A lot, a lot. So I had, you know, beans last night or uh, lentils and I was great. I'm, I'm glad you said that because we hadn't discussed this. That is pretty much my diet. Ah. I, I try to be as, as clean as possible, a pescatarian mm-hmm. or pesca-vegan, mm-hmm. as, as you describe it. Uh, it's relatively newfound for me, probably in the last five years or so. Ah. So how long have you been following this kind of regime? It was really gradual. I first cut out red meat going way back when. I remember going to my doctor in my 30s, and he said, you know, your, your cholesterol is a little high. And I said, cholesterol? I mean, this was the 70s. <laughs> what was cholesterol? Mm. But that set me the journey and to cut out fats and uh, saturated fats and eventually to cut out most meats and then cheeses and then dairy and so almond and soy, uh, a lot of. And when people ask you the question, I'm sure they must because I get the question a lot, why you don't eat meat? Is there an an easy, simple answer to that? Or why you don't eat red meats especially? I I was deeply influenced probably 10 years ago by reading the China study, hmm. the world's largest human study of the connection between diet and disease. And what it essentially found was that the most significant correlation between lack of heart disease and even cancer was the amount of animal protein that one ate. And that's what sealed the deal for me. Uh, the other thing that's interesting, uh, I have children range in age from one just turned 17 to 52. My, my now I say 70, now 18-year-old son was born when I was 65 years old. My wife was 50 years old, 52. Okay. Interesting. So here's what happened. Talk about epiphanies. I concluded that it was really important that I be around a long time. Here you are at 65, and you've got a, a, a newborn child. And I tell people, when I see a chocolate chip cookie, I see my son Logan's face on it. I don't eat it. And so talk about purpose. My purpose is my family, first of all. I love my kids, my sixth grandkids. I want to be Bapa. I want to be around for them. And what greater motivation is there to taking care of yourself than that purpose? So and I love this work. This is, this is kind of my mission, not my job. And so how do you do this? How do you fly around every week when you're 82 <laughs> if you're in good shape? So the message of, of seeing that face on the cookie is a reminder to you that you want to de- eating the cookie might lessen your chances of being around at 90 or 95 to be with your family. Correct. Correct. Exactly. How do you find the social aspect of the lifestyle that you lead? You're a businessman. You travel the world. You have meetings. You have corporate events. And food must be thrown at you left, right, and center sometimes when you're out traveling and you're you're trying to be sociable uh, because you need to talk to people. But it isn't necessarily the diet that you want to eat. No. So I I believe in this so strongly it doesn't matter. I'll just – I will – my office will call ahead and, and if we're going to go to a fair and they have a chance, choice of meals and tell them what it is. If I'm in a hotel, and what's interesting is you don't have to order the meals. That you can order the pieces of meals. Okay, I'll have the vegetables here. I'll have this soup here. I'll have this. I won't, ha- I won't have the dinner. And so I'm just, I, you know, I, I don't let appearances or social things interfere with how I live my life. But I do it graciously, I believe. So you're fairly determined and, and determined. dogmatic about yes, that. Yes, I am. I am. 
it does take discipline. Yeah, um, but people respect you for it. They do. They do. I, I, I think it's a good calling card. I mean, I, you, know, you might imagine that people, when I go up and do a two-day seminar with enormous energy that they haven't seen before, they go, oh, my God, you know, I'd like to have some of that. And, and oh, yeah, he's eating right now, but he's not eating the cookie. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, I— They actually remember you in a positive sense because of that. Correct. And, and what's also interesting is that every person at Sandalini, if you talk to the switchboard of the mailroom, has a personal purpose. And I have one that drives my life in many ways. And, and really, I want to be, provide inspiration and understanding to more and more people to live life at their best mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And that's my, that's my guiding purpose. And that really serves me well in all these ways. Let's talk about the triathlons in some yes. more detail. And okay. you, you explained why you came to doing triathlons because, uh, well, it's a little easier on the body and the, and the cross-training is good. But tell me about that first triathlon and the, and the, and the training for it, how it, how it oh. affected you. Well, I was nervous, of course, you know, with the ocean swim in particular. And, um, but, you know, what? it's such a spirit around events like that, the people that come to them, the energy you feed on. And... And the excitement when you cross the finish line. And so I got addicted to it. It's just, it's a great community of people. And uh, it's a great feeling just to finish the race. <laughs> you mentioned the ocean swim being a little, intim- very intimidating, actually. I, I've yes. done them as well in, in the Pacific, up in Malibu and, uh, yes. and other places. And the first time, it, it really is quite scary, isn't it? It is. Yes. I remember going out there and the, the elite athletes go first in this one day. And so the first wave went, and then the lifeguards pulled about three of them out of the ocean. And I went, oh, my God. If they can't do it. <laughs> but then I remember I have a son who owns Endless Summer Surf Camp. He's an ex-pro surfer. And he, just, he gave me – he said, Dad, just every time they wake up, just go hug the bottom. Just come back. Just, just keep doing that, and you'll be okay. And I, I heard my son's voice talking to me and, and made it fine. This is, the, this is diving into the wave as, as low as you can as the yes. wave is in, a, approaching you. Yes, get on, way under, get to the ground if you can. It's almost counterintuitive because you, you, you down. feel like you don't want to go there. You, right. You're going to get swamped with the wave, but, but you don't. Right. And yes. you emerge and things are a little calmer. Yes, exactly. And you, you learn from that experience. Of course, yes. And how do you feel once you get out in the ocean and it is calm and ah. you're then you're swimming and the crowd yes. is dispersed and you're you know alone because there are people around yes. you but you are alone in a way aren't you it is it's actually a near spiritual experience and while i'm not supposed to i've got this tiny headset with music while i'm swimming and so i'm out there and everybody's kind of fit well you have to get outside the crowd so i swim to the side because otherwise you get kicked in the face and yeah drowned and all but you get you get there you can really move into this really zone of wow this is this is really a wonderful space to be and i'm interested you, you say you actually listen to music yes while you're racing yes what, what sort of music do you listen to well usually the running part it's just got to have that that beat, the beat. To it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right? something fast yeah something with a good beat and uh, but then when i'm swimming often it's it's, it's a calmer kind of music so it's a, it's kind of a zen-like feeling as you it is absolutely Competing against those waves. Yeah, kind of go, get in the zone then. You're just in the rhythm. You've you're got a stroke. You've got the music. You've got the ocean. Then, of course, everything changes. You, you finish the swim. You get to the, the bike portion. And it's a different mood. It's a different attitude, isn't it? It is. It is. Uh, and um, 
those tra- those transitions are important. Be able to move or get your wetsuit off and get on the bike and get going. But then the bike's the same thing. You get into a trance like when you're pumping on a bike. And so I think it's something about exercise that's rhythmic that tends to be like a form of meditation and something that quiets the mind. One of the nice things about it is you, you aren't thinking about the business. You aren't thinking about the world. You're being present. And one of my great beliefs is that the more one can be present with a quiet mind, accessing what I'd call universal intelligence as your guide, the better off life is. And I find that even though, and you're absolutely right, even though you're competing, there are crowds sometimes cheering you on, there are other people passing you, you're passing them sometimes, but there is that solitude and you're almost talking to yourself sometimes as you come in on the bike and you just you're rehearsing through your mind what you need to do at the next stage but it's uh, it's it's you against the world in it is. some senses isn't it, it is yes so that's what makes it such a significant part of life and also i think when i talk about providing inspiration when i i'm um at, at this moment i'm I'm undefeated in my age group here in California anyway. Uh, when I get up there often alone, because uh, one, one of the jokes of my son is, hey, Dad, did you come in first and last again? Because <laughs> occasionally I'm the only one in the age group. <laughs> yeah, I often look at the older age groups because I've never succeeded in, in winning my age group. But I think, well, maybe when I get to the 60, 65 or, or older, maybe there's a day, one day when I'll, I'll, I'll get to that point. But yeah, So I'm now looking to the 80 to 85. Right. <laughs> But it, it isn't about winning. It's not, it? not at all. It's just having done it. And, and, you know, I just, and I'm not that fast. I don't, I mean, I'm not great at it, but I just do it. And that's how life should be. Just keep doing it. And you must have people all the time referring to your age and the fact that you're, you're still doing this. What, is the, what, the, what are the pearls of wisdom that you can share about being your age and being able still to do this? You know, I was thinking about that in terms of one of the questions was, what advice would you give to your son as part of his he's graduating from high school now? And I think that um, I would have really sought peacefulness sooner. I would have sought the idea of, uh, I would have worried less. I would have realized that most things I worried about never did happen. And I got through them. I would have understood better what my wife says all the time, uh, most everything's a blessing in disguise, no matter what comes at you. If you look at it from, with a curious learning mindset, you get through it, and often you're better for it. And so I think it, I would have had less wear and tear if I hadn't, if I hadn't um, taken my thinking so seriously. Interesting. Yeah. So perhaps not delving too deeply into things and, and having a... Not, not a, ruminating your things. Not, if things are going around in your mind circular, just kind of let it go. So this comes under the category of, in, in my world, of stress. Correct. And something that overwhelms so many people. But you, you seem to... You're an incredibly relaxed kind of person. You, you are at peace, it seems, with yourself. And there must be stresses in the world, the life of, of business, and the very nature of what you do is, is to try to alleviate stress, I think, from... From people. So what, at what point in your life did you realize, I've worked this out, I, I've figured it out in terms of just coping with stress and living this existence where you can, you can float from one day to the next? There probably wasn't a moment. It, it, it's really been a, a long-term thing because, uh, I mean, and I try to explain it in the book, up, The Mood Elevator, you know, Living Life at Your Best. 
where I talk about where these things occurred to me because there are different points in my life where I got insights about diet, insights about exercise, insights about purpose. But I think that um, the concepts in the mood elevator really are what are at the core. When I first, when I understood them, my life changed. When I understood the principles of uh, the role of thought in our lives, that that, uh, our thinking creates our experience of life. Whatever we're thinking is what it is. And it's almost like we're making a movie every moment of life. But we're the director of it. And we can understand that. And so when a, when a thought comes in, it's like just kind of let it go. Uh, or it'll be okay tomorrow. Get a night's sleep. And so, for example, one of the principles of the mood elevator is when you're in a lower mood state, when you're down in anxious, worried, self-righteous, whatever those things are, your thinking is really unreliable. You cannot count on it. It's really best to n- not make decisions then. The moment you feel you absolutely have to tell your life mate something, don't. Go take a walk first and wait till your think- clear thinking comes back. And so this idea of really not being driven and knowing your thinking is unreliable and not acting on it in those moments really is a life changer. It's a little bit like the advice never to reply to an email in anger. Exactly. Or... or just think about the time you said something to a loved one you wish you could take back. You were down the mood of it. That, that email you shouldn't have sent. Where, what, someone sends me an email, and it's, I still do have my buttons pushed. I'm a passionate guy. And, I, and I'll start to type it, and then I'll, I'll put save. <laughs> <laughs> the next morning, I'll go back and say, thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> And yeah. I'll change the tone the of it. The opening line changes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because you've changed, and you've maybe got things in perspective. Right. And it's always, you know... A good night's sleep, don't underestimate that. And in morning exercise, even a 15-minute run, vigorous run, that makes a different day. It really does. Well, I wanted to ask you about your – because I know people are always fascinated on daily regimes and especially morning routines that, that people like you have. So how do you, how do you start your day? I mean, from the second that you wake up for the next few hours, what do you do? Almost the moment I wake up, I reach for my phone and I – do a little 10-minute meditation app just to quiet my mind. Which one do you use? Right now I'm using Calm. All right, okay. So I like yeah. Calm. It's a beautiful woman's voice and just a nice little message, and it just calms me down. What's really interesting, my, uh, my heart rate can drop down to like 48 or 50 when I'm doing that because I, I, I'm a very much a biofeedback guy. I notice what things do that. And, uh, and then I get up, and then I try to get in at least a short run. Uh, and m- most days, although if I got, if I got a little later morning, I'll take a bike ride. And so what time of the morning is this? What time do you wake up? Probably six. Mm-hmm. So you're, run, you're running bit. by seven? Oh, yeah. Easily. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. Then, I, um, then often in the evening, I'll do my, my stretching or weightlifting uh, after work. And I try, to, I try to do my stretching probably every other day and my weightlifting maybe – Three times a week. So you do that in the evening? I do some of that in the evening. I'm, I'm a morning person, but i got to get to work too. And so sometimes it has to get pushed over to then. And the, and the, my ideal day would be to wake up, 10-minute meditation, 30-minute run, 15-minute stretching. That would be my great day. And then periodic weightlifting. But some days maybe it's a challenge to squeeze all of that in at the beginning of the day. On Saturday, I'll do all of it. In fact, right. on Saturday, I'll often do a, my own sprint triathlon. Uh, or I'll do... Just by way of training. Of, just by way, I'll, I'll get up and run, bike ride, uh, swim. I have an endless pool in my backyard, and i got an ocean in my front yard. 
it's like a big one. How does it work? There are waves you, you generated swim in places. that you're It's like being against. in a river. Yeah. And you can adjust the speed to whatever you want. And so you just swim in your stay in place. Got a tiny pool in the backyard because we started to have sharks in the ocean out in front there. So I mm. yeah, that, <laughs> had to change that. That's scary that too. Yes. So what time do you get to work? Late. I typically get to work like around 9 o'clock. Uh, and, but I, and then might, I work. Might be late for you. It's not late for a lot of people. <laughs> right, right, right. And then I head home probably around 6. Right. So you have a busy, fully engaged day, fully Although office most weeks day. I fly. I go coast to coast uh, probably two out of three weeks for uh, meeting with CEOs, coaching, seminars, selling what we do, speeches. So it must be a, a challenge, and again, this is something that people often wonder about, is just the fitting of it all in. And, and some people obviously will use as an excuse the fact that they have a very busy working life that it would, as a reason for why they don't exercise. Even those that are not c- competitive athletes, just right. people who need to exercise, but the excuse is, well, I haven't got time. And you can always find time. Like when I'm in a hotel, I might just get up in the morning and do the stairs, up and down the stairs <laughs> 20 times. Uh, or if it's the summer run, or, or so there, you, it does take some discipline. And you know, sometimes when I come home in the evening and I haven't done many things that day for exercise, and I know I like to at least lift weights, you know, it might be easier just to sit down and watch some, read a book. <laughs> uh, but you just have to keep at it. And you believe, I mean, like I do, that constant movement or almost constant movement is one of the best things we can do. Yes, don't sit too long. Uh, I'm a great believer in sleep. I mean, I think it's, it's really is underestimated in terms of the, the physical effects, the effects on your state of mind. I mean, when, you, when you've had a good night's sleep and a little run, you're so much more resilient in terms of things not bothering you, uh, not being as impatient, not being as irritated by people. Uh, it's like Teflon coating yourself from the world. What time do you generally go to bed? Around 10. So you're a, pretty much a eight hours, 10 till 6 in the morning. Yes, I am. And do you sleep well? Do you sleep easily? I do. I fall asleep very quickly. I do, fortunately. And that's probably because of what you've been doing during the day, that you're pretty well exhausted by 10 o'clock at yes, night. Yes, yes. And do you find it easy to quieten your mind by that point in the day? That I you do. you can leave things aside? I'll often, I'll often end the evening by some reading, because I think that's a... A distraction, not watching TV right before we go to sleep. Uh, so I always, always have a book or two by the bedside. And whether, even it's five minutes of reading, I'll do that and then, then go out. You are such a, a great example of this phrase, it's never too late. You started triathlons late in life. What advice would you give to people who think it is too late for them and that perhaps they have a yearning in their 70s or, or 80s to do something new? Well, it's actually science around this. At any age, if people do things like lifting weights, they will build body mass and bone strength. And so the body was made the way we were made and the way Earth is made. There's night and day. <laughs> and, and so this notion of stretch and recover. So you need to push the body. You need to push the mind. But then you need to relax the body, relax the mind. And... And, and there's no reason you can do that at, at any age in different kinds of ways to make that happen. Do you still have ambitions and goals? Are you striving towards something? I'm actually fairly peaceful in my life right now. Uh, I want to make sure my family is well, is well set. I want to make sure that, that I uh, leave a legacy in the work at Send Lane to make it happen. Uh, but I do. I'm gonna, I want to do a round-the-world trip with my son coming up this summer. Uh, we, we just, uh, for his 18th birthday, we went skydiving. 
and uh, then he wanted to go. We went went to Hawaii, went stand up paddling up the river. And was that sky was that skydiving for the first time for you? No, it's really interesting. When I was in my youth, I did it in the old days where you jumped out yourself and pulled the cord. Right. <laughs> a little bit more technology involved now. But it's a little different today. So actually a little bit safer probably than back then. And, and we jumped off the rocks at Waimea Bay, about a 30-foot jump into the ocean together. And so I like to do things. I want to keep doing things with my son and my daughter, my, the two. And I get to, do, I get to work with uh, one of my other sons are in the business. So it's, family's big. It's very interesting to me doing these podcast interviews with, with people like yourself, but people from very different walks of life. A common trait I often hear, a common response to a question is that you're doing it for your family mm-hmm. and that your own longevity, the, the driving force is actually not so much you, but your family and the people around you and, and being here for them. Yes, and for me, it's kind of a double dose. Number one, it's my family. I have five kids and six grandkids. Just went to visit my brand-new uh, sixth grandchild born in the last few weeks. Uh, but then my work is my mission. This is a mission for me, not a job. The work we do makes a better world, makes better people, makes better lives, makes better companies, makes better teams. And so I, in order to both serve my family and serve my purpose at work, I need to be fit. And, and it's, so then it's not, it's not hard. You just have to think about what you're doing, the why. Uh, life is driven by the why. If you don't know the why, you won't get there. I have big whys, and they drive my life. And a question I often ask people in terms of the future and your own longevity, do you have a longevity goal? Are you one of these people who says, oh, I want to get to 100, I want to get to 110, or oftentimes people just don't think about it, and it's more of in the moment and today and appreciating today. That's me. I, I have no. I mean, I have. I just want to. I want to be accountable. I, I, I want to be very accountable to ensure I have good quality of life as long as I can. And but every day is a day, and living in the moment is a much better place to be. And I don't think a lot about where this will, how many years this will be. It's just going to be, every year will be a great year. And that's a great way to end this. Larry Sen, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. And just before we go, if you'd like more information about Larry, I'll put all of the details, some of the things we've been talking about, into the show notes for this episode. You'll find them at llamapodcast.com. That's double L-A-M-A podcast.com. And if you'd like to follow us, we're on social media at Llama Podcast on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, where the direct message box is open. If you'd like to get in touch, you can also email me, peter at llamapodcast.com. Many thanks for listening. FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Ruud. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. FlexBeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A.
You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.